welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Second uh, Corinthians chapter three. We're all the way in chapter three. We are making serious progress here, gang. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. Um, if you are new to Awaken, there are some white cards on the table. Uh, we'd love to know that you are here. If you're looking for a community to connect with, um, we'd love to take you to coffee and hear a little bit more about how you got here and what you're looking for and tell you a little bit more about us. Uh, also, if you uh, give tithes and offerings to Awaken, um, there are black boxes back here on my right, your left, uh, and under the, the spiral staircase for the balcony people, holla in the balcony, there's a, a black box hanging uh, by the bar up there. So tithes and offerings, new, new, newcomer cards, those can all go in there. And if you didn't know, um, you can give online at awakencommunity.com, uh, and it helps a ton uh, if you, it, there's, two, always, there's always two options there, like credit card and then bank transfer. Did you know there are no fees when you do the bank transfer? So all of what you give goes to Awaken and not Visa. So you can do that. That'd be great. Um, okay, uh, yeah, we already mentioned it, but just a huge thanks to Jenna. Um, great job, great job last week. Uh, super, super, super excited and um, grateful. I was in, in Chicago helping with a church planters training, which, man, so fun to be a part of those. We got all these like fresh fish who are like, you know, wide eyed and like they're ready to plant new churches. And I'm like, you have no idea what's coming. You're going to die. No, I'm just joking. It's been, it's been really fun to be able to, to uh, offer our journey um, to these men and women who are on the front lines. Love them, love them. So Second Corinthians chapter three, stand if you would. Uh, we will begin in verse one of chapter three. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter, but the spirit, for the letter kills and the spirit gives life. Pray with me. God, as we open this word, which is empowered by your spirit, I pray that it would give life to new things in our hearts, that it would nurture things that need to come alive, that the seeds are present there, uh, but just need a little water. So God, we, give our, we open ourselves up to that possibility that you are real, that you actually rose from the dead, and that your spirit is actually at work in the world. Uh, may it be so, we pray. God's people said, amen. amen. Um, have a seat. Hey, I forgot to mention this, and um, I'll, I'll mention it. A couple weeks ago, we had a Discover Awaken, which is basically just a, a time for new people to get to know Awaken, uh, and really only one couple had signed up for that. So we were going to go to lunch today, uh, and, and anyone who's new at Awaken who wants to join us, free lunch on me, Moose Country, 1230. Moose Country is the dive bar at the end of the parking lot, okay? So that's happening. Th- this is real, friends. This is happening. So, so far at Awaken, uh, I mean in 2 Corinthians, we have talked about a number of things. I want to just debrief those or uh, reminisce a little bit and then dive into this. Um, Paul starts with grace and peace, right? That God offers this grace in Christ and that as we receive grace, we we experience peace. It's sort of a one-two punch. 
Um, we talked about pain and suffering that God, I submitted, uh, and this is not, not adhered to by all, but I, I, would, I would like to convince you that this is a better way to see it, that God is found in the midst of pain and suffering. God is not the author of pain and suffering and evil in the world, but rather that free moral agents, both human and angelic, are the, are the source of evil, pain, and suffering in the world. But God, the incarnate, the, the, the one who is with us, Emmanuel, is found in the midst of those places. We talked about prayer and why it matters, that prayer changes us. Prayer changes things, that things happen in the world when God's people pray. Uh, we've talked about when Jesus shows up, Paul says this is God's yes to humanity. So all of humanity, when Jesus shows up, is elect in Christ in that sense. And that those who say yes to this Jesus by faith experience this new creation that Paul talks about. Uh, that our actions, what if our actions were motivated? What if everything that we said and did was driven by, empowered by love? And that forgiveness is the better way. Forgiveness is, is a way that leads to life. It's the road that paves, or it's the, it's the pavement that, that leads to life. Uh, and then last week, Jenna talked about this kind of Lenten idea of this procession being led towards death so that new things might come alive in us. That Adam and Eve might die in us so that Christ might come alive in us. So this week, Paul, he re-engages the Corinthian church. Okay, remember, this is a very small group of people in Corinth, probably no bigger than Awaken, like literally, maybe 100, 150 people is one of the larger church plants of Paul. Um, so we're doing fine, guys. I mean, we're like, Apostle Paul, you got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> um, but he re-engages Corinth because these people are wondering, is he legit? Is he really an apostle? Is the work of Christ actually real in Paul? And so he re-engages them, and uh, he sort of says, listen, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is actually you all. So I want to unpack the verses and then just offer three very simple questions. This text pretty much preaches itself, so, you know, my job's easy this week. Uh, we're not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat or do anything crazy, uncover something. It's just right there, I think. Um, so, let's, let's kind of look at the verses, and then we'll ask three questions. Verse 1, Paul begins, and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves to you? Or, or do we need, like some people, a letter to you or from you? Um, I had this teacher in grade school, uh, there were two sixth grade classes, and I had Mr. Beck and Mrs. Burroughs, Blanche Burroughs, man, she, was, she struck fear in like every human being that walked in St. Anthony Park Elementary School. Sort of the quintessential uh, elementary school teacher that just laid the lumber, right? Are you all have a picture in your, your minds now? She would, she, would get on, she would sort of get going, and when she was upset at somebody, she would you know, ask a question like, do you think that was a good idea? And every now and again, a sixth grader would answer one of these questions. Tear, you know. So then she started saying, like, do you think this is a good idea? That's a rhetorical question. Do not answer it. Oh Paul essentially is saying, like, do we need to commend ourselves to you again? Like, do we need letters? It's a rhetorical question, right? He's not asking them to answer. They're, call, they're questioning his apostleship, his authenticity as an apostle. And he's like, listen, do we need to do this? And the answer to his rhetorical question comes in verses 2 and 3. One translator, verse 1, the word that's commend, he translates it like, are we beginning all over again to produce our credentials to you? Like, do we need to come again to you and say, like, why this is real and why we're legitimate apostles? He answers the rhetorical question in verses 2 and 3 when he says, you yourselves are our letter. He says, like, you are my credentials. The Spirit of God at work in Corinth is the 
affirmation of the spirit of God at work in me. And man, what a beautiful picture. Like you, if I were Paul, I would say to awaken, gang, you are confirmation. You are my credentials. My life written on your hearts is the evidence of God's spirit at work in me. He says, this letter, it's, it's, it's the result of our ministry written not in ink, but by the spirit of God, not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. Beautiful, like what a picture. Um, if I were to say to you, tomorrow I'm going to get the worm. Would I be waking up uh, early or late tomorrow? And how do you know this? The early bird gets the worm. Friends, you have just participated in a very clever little rhetorical device called metalepsis. You can write that down if you'd like. That's free. Um, here's the de- uh, do we have the definition? I'm sorry. We had a little c- computer crash. No definition. Metalepsis is this. When a, uh, 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 a, a common term or, or a literary you know, device or idea is u- in, in a culture, like a piece of that, like one little piece of that is taken and used, like I just said, tomorrow I'm going to get the worm. So I'm taking the piece from, you know, uh, the early bird gets the worm. And you all know this. You, it's culturally current. Like, you know, this is, everybody knows the early bird gets the worm. I take one piece of that and I use it in another phrase and I say, tomorrow I'm going to get the worm. And you all know what I'm talking about. Biblical authors do this all the time. They'll take one little strand or thread from an Old Testament idea that everybody knows and they'll use it in like this, for example, in the book of Luke. Everybody's really mad at Jesus. They're going to throw him off a cliff. They want him dead. They lead him out to the edge of the cliff and Luke says, um, and Jesus passed through the crowd. That's the end of the story. It's like, what on earth? He just like, what happened? You know, like, what did they do? What Luke is trying to tap into is another story. Does anybody know which one it is? Anyone passing through something? The Red Sea, right? This is Moses. This is the Exodus. And all through Luke's gospel, he's trying to tell you, Jesus is leading a new Exodus. This is one of the ways that he does it. So Metalepsis, Paul, taps into other stories when he says, this letter is not written in ink, but it's written on your hearts. It's not written on stone tablets, but it's written by the Spirit. What story is he talking about? Ten Commandments, Moses. Not a trick question, guys. Play along. You're, you're, you're like, Ten Commandments? Uh, yeah, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up on the mountain, Sinai, thunder, lightning, the whole deal. He comes down with stone tablets. I would suggest there's actually another story that Paul is tapping into here, and it's from the book of Ezekiel, where in verse 26 of chapter 36, Ezekiel says this. He's speaking to Israel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And this is is Israel's problem all throughout the Old Testament, right? It's to the letter of the law. Like we'll follow it to the letter or sometimes they just disregard it altogether. But the letter of the law never produces life. This is called religion or fundamentalism. Right? You just follow the rules all the way to the nth degree. And friends, you can follow all the rules and experience death. Because it's not the rules that bring life. It's the spirit behind the rules. It's the spirit in the law. Which is why the Jewish people believe that when they received Torah, they received the spirit of God. We look at it and we're like, oh my gosh, 617 commandments? How on earth is anybody going to do that? Many of the Jewish people of old believed that in the giving of Torah was the receiving of the Spirit of God. 
because it's the spirit that gives life. And Paul ends this section by saying that, doesn't he? Does he not? He says the letter of the law kills. It brings death. It's the spirit that enables and brings life. So Paul says, listen, this is a new deal. We're not talking about tablets. We're not talking about stone hearts. We're talking about the spirit of God at work in you. And you are my credentials because the spirit's at work in your life. May it be true of me that my heart is written on yours, that my life is written on your hearts. Verses four to six, he talks about this confidence as apostles. It doesn't come from us. It comes from the, the spirit of God. It comes, it's rooted in Christ in our lives and, the, and, and then in your lives through the spirit. So three questions, simple questions, that I think this text, this, this is sort of asking us to encounter or to engage. I would say it this way. Uh, who's written on your heart? Not rocket science, I get it. But who is written on your heart? Which is to say, who is invested in you? Who has poured themselves into you? Who are the people? Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's a youth pastor. Maybe, maybe for some it's nobody. Which is, I'm glad you're here. You've walked into the right place. Who has invested in you? Who's, who is written on your heart? Paul says, you all, my life is written on your hearts. Who's invested in you? Maybe you could say it differently and, and a little bit more churchy. Who has discipled you? Which is, some of you might be thinking like, that's a word that nobody uses, man. Not sure you knew that. Who's discipled you? Which is only to say, in, in, when Jesus was walking around, disciples uh, the, the Hebrew word is Talmudim, and it just means somebody who does what their master does or somebody who learns to do what the master does. So I brought this picture this morning. For those that can't see it, I would encourage you to come look at it. Um, this, is, this was my moment when I was, what, what are you, between freshman and sophomore year, 14? 14 years old. I went to a, a conference in Chicago where a guy named Mark Gold spoke about a story that happened on this sea. This is the Sea of Galilee in Israel about a guy named Peter when Jesus comes to Peter and tells him, you know, fish over here and he pulls out the fish with the coin in his mouth and Mark says, Mark's challenge to us was would you go more boldly into this world if you knew that this was the God who was behind it? The God who pulls, you know, coins out of fish's mouths and crazy things like that, and all sorts of other things in the sermon. And this was my moment when I said, yes, I'm going to follow this Jesus. And when I arrived here on this shore this fall, this last fall when I went to Israel, I, the first time I saw the Sea of Galilee, I lost it. I just totally lost it. Because I felt like I was, there was part of me that was already there. And I was like coming back to myself. This was the moment where I said yes to following this Jesus. And to saying yes to being a disciple. In high school, there was a guy named Phil Thompson. He was my youth pastor. He poured his life into me. He was there when I said yes to Jesus for the first time. And he poured his life into me. When I went to college, there was a guy named RJs, one of my professors, who poured himself into me and helped shape me and make me the youth pastor that I was when I showed up at your church in 2001. There are people in my life, I'm meeting with one of them today, this afternoon, a guy named Dave, who is pouring his life into me. 
So I want to ask you the question, who's invested in you? Who's poured their life into you? You are not a, you, you didn't just show up here, but you are a sort of amalgamation of all sorts of people and things that have shaped you, and here you are. And for some of you, that's a sore topic because you've maybe wanted that and that hasn't happened. And can I just say that that's part of why we do what we do at Awaken. We want to grow with each other as we follow this Jesus. So if you're not in a life group, there's a great spot to start. If there's somebody that you, ask them. Did you know you get 80% of what you ask for? I mean, if you lived by that, man, you'd be It'd be golden. I, I live by this. Like, what's the worst they could say? I've asked, I can count like a number of people that I have said, would you spend time with me? Would you mentor me? And they've said no. Well, I mean, what do you lose, right? Nothing. You didn't have it before and you don't have it after. Okay, you didn't lose anything. Maybe a little bit of your pride, but get over it. Keep going. Keep knocking, right? Keep. Paul's point here is that the authenticity of his work as an apostle is their life because he has poured himself into them. So who has invested in you? The second question is, who are you investing in? Again, not rocket science here, gang, but who are you investing in? If you have said yes to to Jesus, if you are a follower of this Jesus, then I would submit to you this piece of investing yourself in someone else is actually not negotiable. This is not something that we get to choose we do or we don't do. Like, ah, not so much. And gang, this is not something that just old people do. Like, if you're here and you're younger and you're like, well, I'm not, you know, this, is, this has nothing to do with age. Nothing to do with age. It actually has everything to do with your fundamental presupposition about the way the world works. Let me get a little deep for you, just for a second. If you believe that the world exists and we exist, for me, right, like, ultimately, you all are for me. Or I am ultimately for you. Like fundamentally as a human being, I was created to like receive things from you. Consume things that you have to offer. Which I've said this before, this is a zero sum game. You, it's not generative. It doesn't create life. It actually only consumes it. I would submit we were created for the opposite of that. For the other. Jesus himself says it. Is it better to give or receive? Blessed are you who to give. It's better to give than receive, he says. So how does the world actually work? Like deep, deep down, what, what, and what were we created for? I would submit one another. We are created to participate in relationships where we bring out the seeds of life that are in each other. Genesis 1.11 calls this tov, good. That which is good. When we, part, when, we, when we pay attention to and intentionally bring out the life that are, that's present in the form of seeds in other people and other things, and we nurture them and bring them to life with the seeds of future life in it. If this is confusing, go back and read Genesis 1.11. For our point this morning, this is not about age. We are, as people who follow Jesus, to... What does Paul say to Timothy? Think about these relationships that Paul had with these people. Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, Luke. He said, Timothy, my son, take what I have entrusted to you and entrust it to faithful men and women. Pour it out. If it ends with you, 
You're the last link in the chain, and may it not be true. So who are you investing your life in? Now, I know that as a full-time pastor, I have a bit of an, uh, an advantage. Like, it's literally written into my job description to do this, to invest myself in other people. And maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a real estate agent, maybe you make widgets. I don't know. But I would submit that even so, this is a part of your job description as a person who follows Jesus. I have this one picture. I think we still got the picture. That's me. I have a name tag there. Um, does anybody recognize anybody in this photo? Michaela. Here she is right there. Do you know how long ago that was? When was that? 2K3. It was Chick 2K3. That's what we did. Uh, were you there? No. Uh, um, anybody recognize this clown up here? He played the drums today. That's Bruce with the crazy eyes on the left, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> crazy eyes. Gang, I only show this to say, I don't have a lot to offer. I mean, ask them. I'm a, I'm a knucklehead of all, uh, like, I'm nothing special, but intentional pouring your life into someone else's is what faith and following Jesus is about. And it has nothing to do with age, young people in the room. I heard a story uh, a couple weeks ago. We started student ministries, and Jenna um, is leading this. And she works full-time job, uh, is in school full-time, and preaches every now and again, and decided, hey, let's do student ministries too. We don't really have the luxury of like splitting up our students, right? We have 10-year-olds, my daughter, good God almighty, how did this happen? My daughter is going to youth group. To 18-year-olds, right? That's a large span. And most people in church and youth group would say, like, you should probably split them up into age-appropriate groups. Well, guess what? We can't. <laughs> we only have one person who's willing to lead this thing. So we're kind of stuck with this model. So it was like, listen, Jenna, you got to pitch this. you got to sell this idea that for our older high school students who are 16, 17, and 18 years old, you may think it's pretty dumb to go hang out with, like, a prepubescent 10th grade or a 10 year old or 11 year old or a junior higher and you might not think that that's very cool but guess what here's an opportunity for you to invest yourself into a younger student so i hear who shows up at the first youth group event youth group event my daughter who's 10 and sydney parkinson who's like 17 and i thought to myself wow this kid gets it is it I mean, is that something that most high school students want to do on a Friday, on a Sunday night, you know? No. They probably want to go hang out with their friends or go to a party or go do... I don't know what kids do these days. You know, <laughs> I'm so out of it. So out of it. But for me, as a dad with a 10-year-old, in a couple years, I'm going to be the dumbest person on the planet. Right? When these kids turn teenagers, parents, you become the dumbest people on the planet. And what you say... It's like a clang and gong. They don't listen. But here are people who are creating positive adult relationships with my kids. Gang, I can't stress this enough. Who are you pouring yourself into? And I didn't say this first hour, and I should have, and I forgot. Parents, it might be for this season your children, and that's okay. There's no need to feel guilty. There's no shame in saying, right now, for this season, it's these three monkeys or 
these five, or however many there are, it's like these ones, and we, we're doing that now. That's okay. So if you were here first hour, I hope you listen to the podcast, because you heard that. Lastly, who, who's, who, uh, who's written on your heart? Who's investing in you? Whose heart are you writing on? Who are you investing in? And lastly, who are you inviting? Who are you inviting? Um, gang, we have at Awaken done as much as we possibly can to remove the barriers that would embarrass your friends. Or that, that How many people have never invited their friends to church because they would be embarrassed at the church that, that they went to? Yeah, don't, don't be shy. Raise your hands, gang. I worked at some of these churches before, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to invite my friends to this. I'm so embarrassed by some of the things and the ways we do things and the words that we use. And it's like, ah, gosh, why do you do that? We have worked really, really hard to remove as many possible barriers that, you, that we can so that you could invite your friends here and not be embarrassed. And the only one we can't get rid of is the gospel, which is a barrier in and of itself, right? Like die to yourself and live for somebody else. Nobody wants to do that, at least... Americans typically don't. Um, well, just humans in general. We choose ourselves. It's not about America. Come on, it's not America. <laughs> so we've done everything that we can to remove the barriers. Who are you inviting? We've talked about, we don't want this community to be a bounded set where it's the edges that determine who's in and who's out, but rather this Jesus who is a well of living water at the center. If that's true, and you found life here, and I've heard the stories, gang. I have, I have the emails to prove it. If that's true, then why on earth would you not want somebody else to experience that? Fear. We're scared. I'm scared. I go to Pizza Luce every Tuesday with Toph. We meet there. I'm just like, every time I go, I'm like, ask Anna, ask Anna, ask Anna. She's our bartender. Like, Anna, would you join us for Easter? I'm like freaking out, but I'm just like doing everything I can to muster up the courage to say, Anna, would you, you get 80% of what you ask for, right? Here, let's get, look at this. I don't usually do stats. I'm not a stats guy. Sometimes I think they're sort of manipulated. And, but this is a guy who did a study. 82% of people who don't go to church are, would, would likely come to church if they were invited. 82% of people would say, yeah, sure, I'll go. Which is mind-boggling when you think about the next one. 2% of church people invite non-church people to church. 98% of you people, us who go to church, never invite anyone to join them in their communities where they have found faith and life and community and their lives have been transformed. That's bonkers. I mean, does that seem as asinine as it just did when when it came out of my mouth to you? 98% Never invite anybody to this place that we say has given us life and community and transformed us and is shaping us. And who are you inviting? It's just a simple question. Most people come to church because a person invited them. Tom Rainer, by the way, is the guy who wrote this book. Seven out of ten unchurched people have never been invited in their entire lives. Gang. Only put those up there to maybe highlight the sobering reality that many of us, myself included, we are, our lives are dictated by fear. What would they say? What if they said no? What if they think I'm a total freak? What if, what if this is a scam? What if, you know, uh, 
So I, I, I want to invite you to think about, is there somebody in your life that you would consider praying for? Somebody that you know is far from God, who you would love to introduce to this Jesus. I think that's important that we think about that on a regular basis. I think it's important that we pray about that. So three questions. Who's invested in you? Who are you investing in? And who are you inviting? Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.